Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, on this episode, I'm joined by my friend and sister, Blair Lynn. I know Blair Lynn as a sister in Christ. She's a spoken word artist and so many other things that I'm going to ask her to share with you in just a minute. And I recently read her new book entitled Finding My Father. And to be honest, I actually read it twice. It was so good. And um, just here's a pro tip. Blair also reads the audio version of the book. So whether you read it or whether you hear it, um, her voice is beautiful. Hearing her story with her own voice was really encouraging to me. But just Finding My Father was so nourishing to my own soul. And I wanted to bring Blair onto all things to talk about her story with both her earthly father and her heavenly father and to help us the listeners of all things think about and talk about fatherlessness in the United States so before we dive into all of that Blair welcome and would you please introduce yourself to everybody tell us what your life is like who you are your story thank you Jen thanks for having me on uh, today My life looks like a lot of things, I think, in this season. Uh, My husband and I, we live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We've been here for seven years. My husband actually came here to help plant a church in Germantown, and we are now at that church, um, serving that church. I've helped lead women's ministry there, Um, and also a writer, a speaker, a Bible teacher. We have three children, um, three beautiful children. Our oldest is 10. Our middle daughter is eight and then a soon-to-be seven-year-old. So I'm in the throes of actually party planning (laughs) for birthdays because, yeah, party planning right now. And, um, yeah, I just I'm grateful for every opportunity the Lord has given me to be able to proclaim uh, his word and to proclaim the gospel, whether through speaking or through spoken word um, or just through sharing a word with a sister one-on-one. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me and the season. Yeah. It's a good season. Yeah, but I was just reviewing your website again a couple of days ago. I'm like, goodness, Blair has done a lot of unique things. I mean, everything from being on TV, multiple different TV shows, which is like such a unique experience, all the way to church planting, um, mm. being known as one of the originators of the Christian spoken word genre. I mean, these are some, you've had a unique life, Blair. Mm. I have, I have um, a full life that the Lord has blessed me, yeah. you know, to have, and and with a lot of twists and turns, as you find, you yes. know, as you've read about in my story. So yeah, I'm grateful for all I've been able to yeah. do and experience. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing your story in the book. And let's get into it because, you know, on all things, what I like to do is take a look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. So what fascinates me is I just want to weave together what's happening in society, sociological data through a gospel lens. You know, how does scripture inform what we're seeing in culture? And when we have the opportunity to even zoom in and look at one person's story or one person's life, how it might represent a wider sociological trend, and then zoom out even farther and say, okay, well, what does God the Father say about this? What does his word say about that? And that's really what you did in the book, Finding My Father. Um, There's a phrase that you repeat in the book over and over. And the phrase is, I did not know it, but I was living it. Mm. And that was powerful how you use that phrase. Can you tell us more? Like, what is, why did you, why did you say that? How does that capture the book? Yeah. um, Yeah. This phrase, I didn't know, but I was living it. Um, 
really it speaks to the very real effects of the brokenness that I was experiencing of not having a present godly father in my home. Um, you know, and I walk through a lot of my, my struggles as I tell my story um, and struggles of poverty. Um, you know, I mean, I go from the very beginning, but what it's like to have a single mom who, uh, you know, really did all that she could to sacrifice in order to give my sister and I the best life that she could. Um, but we struggle, we struggle with poverty. Um, I struggle with authority as I was growing up. I struggle with my identity. Um, and, and what I was doing I, that I didn't realize was I was living out the very real consequences of fatherlessness unbeknownst to me. So it was really in, in hindsight, kind of looking back and realizing like, oh, wow, I was on my way to becoming this statistic that is so clear um, for fatherless children. Mm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about how fatherlessness impacts children. I think, um, you know, you say in the book that it's the elephant in the room that we Mm -hmm. need to talk about because Mm -hmm. it is so widespread and Mm -hmm. maybe it's so pervasive that we've sort of just accepted it. Like this is, yeah, like who's, who's got a dad, Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it has, I think we're just so used to it, but the impact is powerful and negative. Can you tell us a little bit more about what children experience when a father is not present? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, fatherlessness, I, I would call it an epidemic, um, you know, more than 24 million children in the United States are living in a home right now without their father there. Um, and I think it's one of the most prevalent or significant, I should say, social issues that we are facing right now in the United States. Um, so when you look at the statistics, um, you know, it's something like 70 percent of high school dropouts come from a fatherless home. You know, 70 percent of teenage pregnancies uh, exist in homes without fathers present. Um, 85% of children with behavioral disorders, 90% of children who are homeless or who are runaways come from fatherless homes. Um, 63% of youth suicides from fatherless homes, 85% of youth in prison from fatherless homes. Um, and there are other things that, you know, I mean, I talk about the infant mortality rate, how that increases Mm -hmm. twofold in a fatherless home. So there, there's so many ways you're more likely to be poor. You're more likely to struggle with obesity. I mean, it's just, it, it, it is permeated so much um, of our society when it comes to children. And, and I think the, the impact it's undeniable, but you're right. We don't really talk about it. You know, I'm like, right. there's this huge, I, I do think it is like an elephant in the room because there's a huge issue with massive consequences and we kind of pretend as though it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. I, I yeah. thought we, we need to yeah. have this conversation. Mm-hmm. No, it's really, really helpful. And the way that you're able, you know, the way that you personalize it, again, you kind of zoom in and zoom out throughout the book. Here's how I experienced it. Here's what my heart and soul and body and family was going through. But mm-hmm. also here's what 24 million children in America are going through. That's and I think right. when you say it's an epidemic, uh, that's not too big of a word here. Mm. Why do you think, Blair, that we're not talking about it? You know, you taught, you mentioned in the book um, 
a bit that we as a society have almost negated the need for fathers. We've sort of convinced mm-hmm. ourselves maybe that moms can do it all, mm-hmm. that women are strong and they're just fine without their children's father present in the home. I know that I'm asking you a huge question. I mean, we can yeah. do a whole encyclopedia of podcast episodes on every question here, but mm-hmm. what is your perspective on why we're not talking about it? And also, you know, how that ties into the way we view women and mothers, single mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can't say that I have all of the answers, um, but just from my perspective, I mean, I think something that I have observed is oftentimes fatherless children, or specifically even when you think about daughters who were not raised with their fathers, mm-hmm. oftentimes there is this bitterness um, towards men in general. Um, and I think sometimes just whether it's just the trauma, the pain, is it hurts so much um, that oftentimes they don't want anything to do with men. And I think you know, women are strong, you know, and I think there are a lot of single moms who have taken on the responsibilities. They're bearing the brunt of the burden and trying to balance those roles. You know, I know my, my mother tried to be mother and father. And I talk about in the book how, you know, on Father's Day, I would send a, I would write out a father's card, Father's Day card for my mother because, you know, she was trying to fill that role but the, the truth is she could not fill that role. Like there still was a loss. There still were holes and an emptiness there because, you know, my mother could only be my mother and, right. and it, and she was good at being my mother, but she can never take the place of my father. And, you know, I think too, our society really struggles when it comes to affirming and encouraging gender roles, you know, of course mm. that is an issue. And so I wonder if this, this, this idea of in order for me to esteem uh, a woman, I have to put down the men, you know, in order for me mm. to encourage mothers or and even the single mothers who are doing very hard work, I have to put down the fathers. And, you know, we know that's not the case, that mothers can be encouraged for being the mothers that God has called them to be. And also we can encourage fathers to step up and be the men and the fathers that God has called them to be. And that was something that I really wanted to, it's funny, actually, I wasn't intending to go into writing um, with this, but I have heard this comment from others who have said, I'm encouraged by how you don't tear men down or you're not mm-hmm. trying to beat men up. Um, but because that's just not how I'm processing the situation, I see the value in fathers and I want to encourage fathers in their role um, and encourage mm-hmm. all of those who are reading the book to say, you need your father, you know? And so, yeah, it's not, oh, because you didn't have him, you're just okay. And you can just move forward. Mm-hmm. Certainly the Lord gives grace. I'm a testament to that of not having had my father and the Lord providing anyway and using even other means to do that. Uh, but the way that God intended it was that there would be a mother and a father in the home. And and there are benefits to having a mother and a father in the home. And so I just yeah. wanted to highlight that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important not to, you know, define our circumstances according to how the culture does. Um, you know, who would say, OK, well, your father's not there. You don't need him anyway. 
the statistics clearly show us that that's not the case. I don't know why we continue to emphasize that or kind of push that, um, that idea. It's so clear. We need our fathers. And more than just having our fathers, what I'm arguing for is a godly father, um, because you can have a man in the home, a father in the home, and that's not the full answer. It's having a present godly father, um, because Mm. that's God's original design and intent. Fathers who would look to their heavenly father. Right. Yeah, that is one thing I noticed too about the book, Blair. And one thing I've noticed that you do on social media as well is you do Mm. elevate the dignity and worth of fathers. Mm. Um, And it's funny that that's surprising, right? I mean, you make a really good point. Why are we not just doing this anyway? Why is there a tendency in the way we process as a culture that, well, if dads aren't present, then uh, let's write them off. Let's pretend Mm -hmm. as if they're not necessary. Um, When clearly... They are, and you're, you are right. We can elevate and um, we can sort of give dignity and value and honor to single moms who are working so hard, mm-hmm. but also to fathers. And um, I, I think maybe it comes from a lack of healing, you know, personally, as you said, mm-hmm. girls especially may resent. I think it's true for men too, but we're girls. We know what that feels like, um, mm-hmm. resent the absence of their father. And if we, if we stay in resentment and stay in bitterness and don't pursue healing, um, then, then it's hard to give honor and dignity to the the one who has maybe wounded us. Mm-hmm. Um, Blair, would you tell? And I, this is going a little bit off script from our, with the questions that we were talking about earlier. So I'm just injecting this one. So feel free to make it really brief if you want. But mm-hmm. how did you start to pursue healing? Mm. You know, obviously you can speak you can speak about fathers with the dignity and honor that they're due because you've been able to forgive. Mm-hmm. you've been able to pursue healing. You've been able to feel the love of your heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go back to some of those other questions in a minute, but just really quick, I want to interject here. How did that healing start to come for you? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it started for one um, with acknowledging my loss and it kind of snuck up on me, you know, because I think, you know, being raised in a single parent home, that is just what's that's your reality. You know, you almost don't know what you don't have. Certainly I could look on and I knew I had a loss, but I didn't fully understand the depths of that loss. And it was much later and realizing like, oh, this, this will have an effect upon me. And it actually started when guys started expressing they were interested when I was 18. And I remember having the thought, I don't even know what to look for in a guy, you know, like, these guys are coming. And, you know, I was, as I shared, was at a church that was a bit more prosperity focused. And so it was like these three guys coming saying, the Lord has told me that you're going to be my wife, you know? And it was like, wait, you know, how do I figure this out? You know, Um, how do I make sure I make the right decision? And why hadn't, I didn't think, why didn't the Lord talk to me about that. You know, it's like he's only talking to these three guys. I know exactly at the same time. Um, And so I think when I began to realize, oh, okay, here's a missing piece in my life. I don't know what to look for in a man. That caused me to really think about, um, you know, that absence that I had and that wait shouldn't a father be here to model this for me, you know, to kind of point me in the right direction. Um, 
And there were many moments like that throughout my life. I would say like 18 and on where I was, I really noticed it. And so I think the first thing that I had to do was acknowledge that there was loss, acknowledge that I was dealing with great pain and suffering and grief because my father wasn't there. Um, mm. And what was helpful for me actually was, was journaling. <laughs> so it's interesting because, you know, journaling and writing down my thoughts. Um, and it's crazy because I remember when I was probably maybe 13 or 14, I, you know, I was mm -hmm. raised doing poetry. And I do remember writing a poem about fatherlessness. And mm -hmm. I shared it with my mom. And I just thought of this right now, because um, I shared it with my mom. And I remember my mom saying, you know, oh, your dad would be so hurt, you know, if he heard these words that you've penned. Um, but I was just expressing my grief, even at that age, still not fully understanding the fullness of it. But over time, I think writing things down, sometimes we are able to expose what's going on internally, that we just, because of our trauma, because we're trying to survive, you know, we're in the middle of just living out life, we don't always have the time to process things. And so writing has been helpful for me. Um, I think another thing too is writing down specifically just the ways that I've been hurt and sinned against. Because when it comes to forgiveness, I have often at times, or initially, I looked at forgiveness as like, okay, you just forgive, you know, but it's just this vague concept of you forgive this big blob of sin, you know, that someone else has done against you. But when I look at the specifics of, okay, I've been offended against in this particular area, um, I think it helps with the forgiveness to know specifically what I need to cast over to the Lord um, and not hold on any longer uh, to. And so that has been helpful. And then realizing that forgiveness is continual, especially if you have a parent in your life and those wounds are constantly being reopened, that it's a constant laying down, um, a constant uh, casting your, your cares and your anxieties over to the Lord and saying, God, I can't do this. I need your help. Um, I remember crying out to God many times asking him to parent me. I need you to be my father, um, you know, and, you know, so those are some of the ways that have helped. When I first came to the Lord, I was 22 and I really looked at God, not as a father. I think I looked at God as more just a judge who had pardoned mm -hmm. my sin, which he is a judge. Mm -hmm. He's a righteous judge. And he did pardon my sin. Um, and he, he desired to be even more than that. And it took me some years to really come into, well, wait, he is a father who loves me. Like the scripture mm. says, in love, he predestined yeah. us for adoption. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, I'm just going to adopt them. And, you know, like there's just no emotion connected to, you know, to it. There's no yeah. sacrifice connected to it. Uh, there's no thought. It's just a trans, it's transactional. But the scripture says he did this for me in love and I think looking at the scripture and viewing God through the lens of scripture, rather through the lens of my brokenness and my loss was transformative for me. Um, so I'll stop there, but um, yeah. you know, I can go on and on, but <laughs> yeah. No, that's helpful. And we're going to come back to that. I do want to talk more about just how you, 
how you grow in your relationship with your heavenly father and some of those ideas. Um, so we definitely want to come back to that. But I think what I've heard you say so far that's so helpful is just acknowledging our wounds, acknowledging mm. the sins that have been committed against us and not, not pretending either <clears throat> like that didn't hurt, mm-hmm. you know, I'm fine. I didn't need that anyway, or not fixating so much on maybe unforgiveness and maybe even hate and resentment and bitterness. You know, we can go, multiple different extremes with those emotions. But Mm -hmm. um, as you, as you begin to journal and just cry out to God for help to parent you, to love you, Mm -hmm. um, that's really beautiful. And I think, you know, we can all really take that to heart and just slowing life down, acknowledging what we're feeling, acknowledging what we've gone through and asking the Lord to help. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we will come back to that, but let me pivot again and just go back to some societal perspectives on this particular issue. I would love to spend a minute talking about race and fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. You rightly describe in the book that there is a prejudice in the United States. There's this assumption Mm -hmm. that black fathers are less present than other fathers. Um, I know that many see this as an issue primarily in the black community. So again, this is a huge topic, hard Mm -hmm. to address in one podcast episode. But can you help us think about that a little bit? What are we missing in this mm-hmm. conversation when it comes to race and fatherlessness? Yeah, um, you know, something that I found, you know, as I was reading and as I was writing uh, that I thought was interesting, because we hear this statistic of like 70% of African-American men are absent fathers. Um, and But as I read, I heard that it, it, one of the things that I came across as I read was that it's different than what we often hear. You know, it's not just, okay, black man are just to be the poster child of, you know, the absent Mm -hmm. father. Um, But what I found was that, you know, 70% of African-American children in the United States are born into unwed homes. And so that was very different than what I had heard kind of communicated so many years. And so, you know, and, and why I'm making the distinction is, I am for marriage, of course, and I think, you know, marriage is something that we should strive for, but there is a difference of 70% of children being in unwed homes versus 70% of children not having any relationship with their father at all. And, Mm -hmm. and actually when you, when you, when I've, you know, when you do the research, or even if you just read my book, what you, what you, what you find is that actually black men are least likely to cohabit with the mother of their child, but they're more present, actually more likely to be present with their child. They have the highest visitation rates for uh, fathers who are not present in the home or who don't live in the home. So I thought that was interesting. And what it really showed me was that this is not um, an issue, you know, just in the black community, that this is an issue in the human community, (laughs) Um, and you know, that it's not just, you know, fatherlessness is not just not having a father in the home because we all know that you could have a father in the home, but he still not be present, right? There might be emotional absence or spiritual absence, or even worse than that, where there's abuse happening and the father is there. Now the statistics are not going to say, wait, okay, here are these fathers who are in the home but it's as though they're not there, right? They're going to count them as there and present even Mm -hmm. when they're not. And so it's not enough for a man to just be in the home. So that's what I'm saying. We have to call for men, you know, to not just put your attention to your home, but put your attention to your God 
because mm-hmm. you're called to model your father so that you can be a good example for your children. And, and that's the only way because of sin, it is only through the blood of Christ and through his redeeming power um, that men will be able to actually be present and to live out the responsibility and the call that they have been given. Um, only through the gospel can that happen in the right yeah. way. Um, so, right. yeah, so that's my well, point. I, it's, I mean, we love to just stick um, statistics with headlines and just have these sound bites, right? Mm-hmm. And create whole opinions and perspectives and even programs around statistics that aren't necessarily well thought through. Um, I think the issue of fatherlessness in, the, in America is so complex and so complicated, you know, yes. like, how did we get here? Right. <laughs> what, where did this come from? Yes. Um, and that, and that, that answer is huge. Go ahead. And that, and that's what, you know, I really did try to do in the book, um, specifically in the African-American community is like, let's look at the context by which the African-American family has been through slavery, through Jim Crow, through, you know, the welfare system. And like, what were the impacts of that on the family? Like, we can't just, like, we have to deal with the reality of what's happened uh, historically. And I think a lot of the times we don't want to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm like, even down to, you know, one little piece um, that I talk about in the book is, you know, when welfare came on the scene, one of the requirements in order for a mother with her children to receive government assistance was that she could not have a man in the home. Like, and this is during a time where, when for African-American men, um, you know, the the employment rate was low. And so what do you do if you're in that situation? And you know that, you know, for me to be in the home, I'm taking food away from my, maybe the mother of my Mm -hmm. children, even if I'm not married to that woman, the mother of my children and my children. And so it pushed men literally out of the home because that was enforced mainly in African-American communities. And so what do we do? You know, or the war on drugs, which had a huge impact in the African-American community um, and to which my own father fell prey, right? So it's like, you know, here's the war on drugs and, and, you know, drugs, which should be viewed as a mental health issue, which now we see that it's being viewed that way. Um, You know, there's an epidemic. I mean, even here, there's um, an area called Kensington here in Philadelphia, where, I mean, you drive through Kensington and it is just it's like death, you know, I mean, it's just, Mm. you see people who are struggling with opioid addiction. And I remember Mm. when I I drove through it the first time, because I'm not from Philly, I called my husband and I called a few people from church and said, where am I? I mean, it was just Mm. so stark, the contrast of, you know, where I was used to driving and driving into this area. And, And I'm like, yes, this is a mental health issue where you have image bearers who are struggling with addiction. Um, But in the 80s and 90s, it was not viewed that way. And so Mm -hmm. there were huge repercussions for that that impacted the family. So we have to deal with all those things. I think you're so right. We are so averse to looking our history head on and Mm -hmm. really diving in and understanding the systemic issues and inequalities that came from our history as a nation. Um, the, what you're speaking to was something that was, you know, I learned a lot from reading The Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilk- Wilkerson. Oh, yes. She 
um, just such an excellent storyteller um, mm-hmm. and historian. But the way that she, you know, shared the stories of specific families through the Great Migration and um, the picture that she painted, the true and accurate picture of the African-American family and the strength um, and the fortitude mm. that it, you know, that is prevalent in Black history. But then again, policies, as you have pointed out to us, things like welfare, things like the war on drugs um, that have really caused incredible multi-generational harm Mm. um and just as a nation it grieves me because we are so averse to looking at our history Mm -hmm. and to making things right and um you are one you know victim of that as a a child who grew up in a fatherless household the it's impacting real children and real Mm. families in real time and so we've just got to do better as a people and as a nation in terms of owning what has happened and doing better as we move forward well, thanks for diving into that and giving us a glimpse. Um, I want to just go back to something you said earlier. You said forgiveness is something that you've got to do over and over. It's not one and done, but it's mm-hmm. a lifetime. Um, and I don't know if you experienced this when you became a mom, but I know for my myself my, and my husband, and we've talked about this with our siblings as well, we, we both come from um, a lot of divorce and dysfunction in our own homes that we were reared in. And when we became parents, those wounds like all became new again. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know if you experienced that, but it was like, as we, when we got married and when we started having kids, you have a new perspective on your own family of origin when you are beginning a new family. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I would love to hear more from you. You know, how do you, how have you continued to cultivate forgiveness and healing? How have you continued to pursue your heavenly father? Mm -hmm. What are some rhythms that you have incorporated into your life so that you can be connected closely to your father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the parable of the unmerciful servants has been uh, tremendous as I've thought about forgiveness, um, that I've been forgiven so much, um, you know, through Christ. And that has helped me as I've sought to continue to pray for my parents and, you know, ask the Lord to help me to love them and forgive them. Um, so that's been helpful. You know, something, actually a specific scripture, another scripture, I should say, um, that really has stood out to me is Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. And it's Paul, you know, he's praying uh, to uh, this church, the, you know, these Gentiles. And he says, you know, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. He says, through whom all or every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that has really transformed my view of fatherhood because it helped me to realize that fatherhood originated with God, not with man, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think we're just so used to looking at fatherhood and we, of course we look to our father, right? But when there's brokenness there, um, it hinders us from seeing who God is as our father. Um, And even if you had a wonderful father, you still have to, you see your heavenly father for who he is because he's still greater than even the greatest dad, right? That you've had and you're called to appreciate and love him even more, right? Than this wonderful dad you may have had. So just, you know, it doesn't matter what camp you're in, right? Whether you've had a quote unquote bad father or a good father, Um, we still need to see our heavenly father rightly. And, Mm -hmm. 
you know, that scripture has really opened me up and others where, you know, I've had to, to see, okay, God, how do you define who you are? Because you were a father before the world began, you know, I mean, you know, if we're going to, if we want to know what fatherhood is, we have to go to him as the source. And, and I think that helps us. I don't even want to say we redeem the term, but it helps us redeem our definition of the term, right? And see how holy this beautiful term is. Um, and that God would call fathers or men to join him, right? To say, look to me, and now you're able to be a representative of me and point your children to me. Um, so it's been helpful to dig in the scripture um, and see God for who he is. Um, and that's a continuous process. You know, I'll be learning the rest of my days, um, yeah. you know, who my father is and how much he loves me and, and being able to rest and really settle my heart in that love that he has for me. Yeah. Um, I think also another piece that has been so helpful, often when we think about our spiritual adoption, we think about the fact that we have God as our father. But I think there's a piece that we miss that I wanted to emphasize in the book which is that we now have a new family in God, you know, a new family in the church, right? So through God, we have the church now. And I think the church, which there are so many scriptures which show God's heart for the fatherless or for the orphan, who I think is the fatherless. Um, and, and, and there's scriptures that says, as the church, we are called to care for the fatherless. So, that is encouraging as a fatherless person, mm -hmm. you know, to say, well, wait, God anticipated, right? He said, you know, in the world, you're going to have trouble. I've anticipated your trouble and I've provided a remedy <laughs> for your trouble, right? In myself, right? Who's here to carry you through this fallen world, but also the church should be here as a balm, right? To, to help us along. And you know, and to carry uh, our burdens. And I think often the church is rightly um, prioritize caring for those who are in foster care and those who need uh, to be adopted. But also there are fatherless children right in the pew and we are called to care for them. And the church mm. has just done that very well uh, for myself and for my husband. And mm. so, you know, I walked through before getting married, which I had never witnessed or like been able to observe a healthy marriage up close, <laughs> And, you know, before we were married, I moved in with a family, one of the pastors and his wife and children. And for the first time, being able to just observe, how do they do life? What does this look like? You know, how do you love your wife? How do you respect and honor your husband? How do you love your children? Um, you know, and then to nanny for a family as well after that. And, you know, again, to be able to just witness, um, you know, just... A family naturally, you know, I should say supernaturally, this is a believing family, just live out their life. And, and, you know, it gave Shy and I an opportunity to say, oh, well, we want to incorporate this, you know, or we need to do this. Like, you know, I remember when we were very young, we sat around the dinner table, my sister and I, but my mom worked, you know, so as we got older, we were latchkey kids. And so even sitting down for a meal, like that was, that's transformative. That time is such a beautiful time. Um, so to say, well, we want to have this in our home, you know, and then you saw, we saw other things that said, no, we don't want to do that, but we want to do this, you know. Um, and I think that's the beauty of, you know, in Christ, all things being made new, 
And you have this, this beautiful opportunity through the spirit to determine what, what do you want this to look like? What will our legacy Lord willing look like? And, you know, to pray that the Lord would completely undo all of the trauma and pain that I experienced and my husband experienced. And we're able now to pour into our children. And it's crazy because now, you know, I remember my husband recently talking with um, one of our children about someone who, a single parent actually in our church and saying, well, wait, how does this person have a father? And I never see the father in like, you know, the idea of a fatherless home or, you know, a mother and a father, like not being married, it's just new for them, you know, to sit and have conversations about marriage. Although my oldest is like, I don't want to get married. <laughs> you know, they're like, I don't know about that. I mean, you have to kiss and I'm not sure, you know, but, you know, but that this is just norm. Like, this is just what mm. they know. Um, and we pray the Lord would save them and they would mm. have godly families. And, you know, or if the Lord has not called them to have get married, that they would just have a beautiful legacy of faithfulness to Christ as a single person, you know? So yeah, it's been, the church has been encouraging. Um, I think an encouraging piece of the puzzle as well in all of this for yeah. us. Yeah. I love that you pointed us back to the local church. I, I also have experienced so much healing. Um, and I just feel like overwhelmingly emotional sometimes when I consider the church family and whether it's the local church or the global church that like, these are my siblings. This family is amazing. And, um, it's just, it's a, it's a gift, but I think that in the United States, we have uh, maybe so focused on the nuclear family mm-hmm. um, that we to the detriment of the church family, and we we don't consider our church family the way that I think the Lord intended, and that that is that we would be involved in each other's homes, around each other's tables, mm-hmm. deeply and intimately involved in each other's lives. And I love that you pointed us back to the local church because of two things. Like for one, if you are someone who is in any way lonely or isolated or needing love and uh, you know a compassion relationships, the church is the answer. You know, Mm -hmm. there is a place for you to find that and it's the church. And if you're someone who is maybe wealthy in relationships or wealthy in, you know, family health, then you have the means of opening up your home. We need each other. We, the the diversity in the body of Christ is rich Mm -hmm. and we need each other. We need to be opening up our homes and sitting around tables together and sharing life together. So I love that that has been part of your story. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish it would be part of more stories. Cause, um, like you guys, I mean, my husband and I also, we either lived with or walked closely with families before we got married. And that was so transformative. Mm. Um, so to those listeners who are out there who, um, you know, let's open up our lives. Let's be the body. That's let's right. be family to each other because, you know, how, how are we going to solve fatherlessness in America? Well, I don't know, but maybe one you know, person around the dinner table at a time is how we're going to pursue it, how we're going to chip away at it. That's right. Absolutely. I think of the scripture, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Tell us the scripture. I just, I just thought of the scripture, you know, who is my mother, right? Who is my father? Who is my, you know, those who are doing Mm -hmm. the will of my father. And yes, we are called, um, we are a family. We are a family and we have more in common with each other than our blood relatives, right? Who do not know the Lord. Um, and so I, my prayer is that that would be a regular 
piece. When we think of the church, it, we would think of it as a family. And I do know, and I want to speak to those, I know there are some who've experienced great brokenness and hurt even from the church. Mm-hmm. So not only have you experienced hurt maybe from your natural family, but also from your spiritual family. And yeah. my encouragement there is to not lose hope, you know, yeah. that, you know, because we're sinners and we're in this fallen world and we're trying to, you know, trying to love each other well and trying to, you know, forgive and, you know, seek reconciliation. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to always get it right. But my prayer is that, yeah, you not lose heart and you not give up. Mm. And, you know, even if you've had a broken church situation that the Lord would allow you to be restored into a very healthy uh, church situation where you realize like, here are people I can trust and I can open myself up to and love and be loved by, by them as well. Yeah. Yeah. These are, this has been a really, I think, healing conversation, nourishing conversation, just the the way that you keep lifting our eyes back up to the goodness and the kindness of our heavenly father. And our families are broken. Our churches are broken. Mm. Sin is pervasive. Mm -hmm. And you are right to say that sometimes that happens inside the church. Sometimes that happens inside our homes. But nonetheless, our Heavenly Father is good, mm-hmm. and He will bring healing as we seek Him, and He will, he will lavish that love and delight on us. Mm-hmm. Um, Blair, where can people keep in touch with you? Any, any final words about finding our Heavenly Father, and where can people keep in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I guess my final words would be um, maybe an encouragement to the fathers, that if you are a father mm-hmm. and you're, you're listening, um, to know that you know, this is a holy calling. It's a beautiful work and the Lord is your strength. Um, Children are often not looking for a perfect parent, but a present parent. And, you know, so even as a parent now, I mean, it gives me great, um, you know, I I mean, I I think it causes me to rethink my parents, you know, because you realize how hard parenting is and Mm. how much you need the Lord um, and how many times I have to apologize, you know, even to my children and, Um, because I'm like, I haven't done this before, you know, and I'm a sinner, you know, and who by the grace of God is seeking to be faithful and to love my children well. And that that's the requirement. It's continuous reliance upon the Lord. Um, and he will provide what you need, um, you know, to parent well. And, and, and a quick note to the single moms who may be listening is just that, you know, the Lord is your strength. And even though this is not the original intent, right, that it would be wonderful to have a godly man, a godly father right there in the home, the Lord has not provided that right now in this season, which means that he must be the one who's going to provide everything that you need and everything that your child Mm. needs. And you can trust him even when times are hard and it seems like your child is, is maybe becoming a statistic or moving towards those statistics to don't forget prayer. Um, you know, I'm the result of a grandmother who prayed. My husband is the result of a mother who prayed us into the faith. And so pray for your children, um, you know, and, and get plugged into the local church so that your children will have those resources and people available um, to them. And yeah, the Lord is with you. If you are a fatherless uh, child, know that you're really not if you have your heavenly father. The Lord is here. Yeah. He's present. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He is working even your hardest moments 
and your greatest pain out for his good and for your good. Mm. I, I should say, excuse me, he is working those moments out for your good, right? And for his glory. And mm. um, yeah, so those are just, I guess, my final words. And I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm on Twitter um, under my name, Blair Lynn. And I do have a website, BlairLynnPoetry.com. And yeah. So I'm around and, you know, grateful for every opportunity I have to serve the body of Christ. So thanks so yes. much, Jen, for this Thank conversation. Thank you, Blair. Thank you for um, just, you have really pointed us to the Father over and over. And I'm so grateful for that. And you have also remembered the listener, every kind of listener, the father, the single mom, the fatherless child, the intact family, the broken family. I mean, you've, you have seen the listener. And I appreciate that about you, that you see people mm. and that you seek to share God's love with each different population. Um, and as you have, have reminded us, God is enough. Mm. He will meet you where you are. So I really um, pray that this episode ministers deeply to those who listen. And I appreciate you ministering to us. So thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.